Welcome to the Australian Abortion Stories podcast, a place where we can listen to and receive the story medicine of women and people's lived experience of abortion. We're here to decrease stigma, increase empathy and understanding, and to create a better world for all people through these stories. I'm your host, Kelsey, and before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the Ghana and Gadigal people of the lands on which this podcast is hosted. I also extend that respect to the people of the lands on which you are listening from today, and any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person who is listening. It always was, and always will be, Aboriginal land. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Australian Abortion Stories. You're with me today, Kelsey, and in today's story we've got the beautiful Rosie. So Rosie shares her two abortion stories with me, um, two procedural abortions that she went through, one before becoming a mother and one after. Um, She shares so, so beautifully about her story and includes... um, quite a lot of background about her her history with mental health and um yeah she's a beautifully resilient and strong woman and there's so many good bits of this story um trigger warning for anybody that needs it is that Rosie's story does include um rape so if that is something that you are not okay listening to right now um just give this episode a miss um, and if you're interested in listening, but you feel a bit tentative, then just go, go slowly, stop listening. If you need to, um, put in some self-care, um, things in place and yeah, there's also, um, a crisis line, um, in the, in the show notes for lifeline and also for the, um, domestic abuse hotline for Australia. So, Um, if you need that, then you can definitely access that and give them a call. And like Rosie says in this episode, those hotlines are literally there for you. And if you're thinking about calling one, then you probably need it. So, um, don't be afraid to call those hotlines. They're full of beautiful people on the other end. So, um, that's enough of that. And I just wanted to also say, (laughs) listening back to this was, was really good. And I didn't have to do any editing essentially. Um, but Rosie and I do, do know each other and we did this in person and also it's not a therapy session. So there are some aspects, um, in our conversation where we're laughing or making jokes and we're not, um, trivializing anything about Rosie's story, but I think it's a really good example of what a conversation, a casual conversation about these things can look and sound like. Um, and laughter is also a coping mechanism. So you've heard the adage, um, yeah, laugh or cry. And that's really true. Um, so all of that said, I think I have nothing else to say apart from if you like this episode, please give it a like on Instagram. Um, give us a review because that helps this story get out to more women and people. It bumps up in the, um, the search bar and the podcast apps, And if you'd like to support the podcast, you can um, use the Buy Me A Coffee link to chuck us some money to um, fund our Zoom account. And yeah, all of those links will be in the show notes. And I think that's really about it. But yeah, just take take your time with this story if you need to stop and whatever have you. And yeah, just thank you, Rosie, so much for sharing your story with me and with the podcast listeners. So let's get into it. 
Hello everybody. I'm here today with the beautiful Rosie, actually in person. Good morning. <laughs> it's a treat. It's a treat. It's um, a modern day. Yeah. So yeah, welcome to the podcast. And I know you somewhat well. Wikish, yes, getting there. Um, but for all the listeners and people who don't know you, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Um, hi, I'm Rosie. I am a mother of two and a doula and a marine biologist and a scuba and freediving instructor, among mm. other things. I'm a keen gardener and adventurer mm. um, and very firm believer in bodily autonomy mm. and respect for ourselves, for each other and Mother Earth. Mm. It's me in a nutshell. <laughs> Sounds like a delicious nut. <laughs> oh, a tough one to crack. <laughs> Beautiful. And um, where do you where do you live? I'm also in Adelaide, yeah. in the hills. Yeah. Um, I live in a very lovely spot in the Adelaide Hills. Mm, yeah. I can attest to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you've got an abortion story. To share today i do yes i can't remember i have two yes yeah okay two so which is part of, <laughs> part of one trying yes. to think so yeah. do you want to share both stories yeah 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 okay so yeah just take us back to i guess wherever you feel like your first story begins what yeah. was what was happening for you and where were you living yeah, yeah. i think um when it I also run a business um, called Sustainable Menstruation Australia. There you go. There goes my anonymity. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. All good. Um, and I think when it comes to our reproductive health, um, the story begins way back, mm. uh, ancestral lineage back. Mm. Um, for me, I have uh, generations of sexual trauma in the past Mm. so trigger warning for those out there Mm. um and so my story kind of begins i think with my first sexual experience when i was 14 i hadn't yet menstruated Mm. and it was date rape um Mm. i didn't know the term back then and felt incredibly ashamed and couldn't talk about it and so on um Mm. And my mother has a lot of trauma. Mm. And so she raised us as a single mother, consciously chose to be a single mother. Um, And so there was a lot of trauma in my childhood, which I wasn't aware of until I became an adult and started parenting my own children. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's been a fun, fun thing to unpack. Um, but I, my personality kind of split in my teen years and mm. there was this part of me that was perfectionist, needed to overachieve, to succeed, to impress, to be seen because mm. I was desperate to be seen and heard. And then there was this part of me that just had this need to release. I needed to kind of just scream I guess Mm. but I did that through behavior as well so I kind of split down the middle um 
So let's let's shift into the actual story now. I'm 19. Mm. I have a helicopter pilot boyfriend who's living in Hong Kong. I'm <laughs> studying full time at uni um, and working four jobs mm. to support myself. And I'm being worked to the bone at a cafe, mm. doing 11-hour shifts with no break. Um, Which is illegal. Very illegal. <laughs> being paid $15 an hour cash in hand in the oh, day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> also illegal. Yeah. Um, they turned out to be a drug ring running out of that restaurant. Also illegal. <laughs> right. Um, run by a motorcycle club. <laughs> Makes sense <laughs> Which now. I was unaware of at yeah. the time. Um, anyway, my, my boyfriend's overseas. And so I think, well, I'm going to go off contraception to give my body a break. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd been off for about a month. And I, my second, I'd always been told when I started working in that job that it was important to never stay back for drinks after work. Mm. And in my naivety, I thought that was because I might be offered drugs. Mm. And so, you know. Who who told you that? Like, was it a colleague or your mum? No, a, um, someone who knew the owner of the restaurant. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so my second day in a row of working these 11 hour shifts with no break, mm. it was Sunday night, I got uni the next day and mm-hmm. I'm like, right, I'm going home. And they're like, ah, oh, stay back for a drink. Mm. And I turned around and I said, oh, fuck it. You know, mm. I'm going to stay back for a drink. Mm-hmm. And next thing I knew, I had been given a drink from the owner's, the owner of this restaurant's son. Mm. Um, who I feel like maybe we should name and shame right now. Mm. Do you think that's appropriate? Um, maybe not. I'm not sure how comfortable I feel with that. Okay, that's yeah. cool. We don't have to. <laughs> yeah. I would love to. I realised on my way here that I still have anger around this mm. and I've done a lot of therapy, but it's still there. Mm. Um, so anyway, I'm waiting for a cab with him mm. and he'd given me a clear drink. And I don't know what was in it, Mm. Um, but it was spiked. And Mm. he raped me that night. Mm. And the next day I went to uni and just was a mess. The next weekend, my brother asked if I wanted to go skiing. So I thought, oh, yeah, that'll be fun. That'll get my mind off everything. In Mm. the meantime, I'd been to the sexual health clinic to get a check done. Mm. And I went skiing and I was coming down uh, my first proper slope and I fell and Mm. I snapped two ligaments in my left knee. Oh, so let's fast forward another week or so. I'm on crutches. I just find out that my operation is going to cost $10,000 out of pocket. Mm. Um, and if I did it in the public system, I would have had to wait two years and then it would have been done by a student and I just wasn't prepared to risk arthritis at 30 and all mm. the other stuff anyway. Mm. So I just found out that news. Like I walked out of the surgeon's office Mm. and got to the car and I got a phone call and it was the nurse from the sexual health clinic and yeah. she said well look the great news is you don't have any STDs and I was like oh that's great mm. said, the other news is you're pregnant mm. and I just cried on my steering wheel for about two hours mm. and then I called my mum <laughs> <laughs> and so long short story i had a knee reconstruction and an abortion within six weeks of each other Mm. 
within no sorry within two weeks of each other because I had to wait for the operation and for mm. the abortion um yeah so it was double recovery mm. and then I got to Hong Kong to see my long-term long-distance boyfriend and he broke up with me after a month because mm. he said I was filthy and he couldn't bear to look at me sometimes because I'd been violated and he wanted me to be innocent for him right yeah Mm. Oh. <laughs> so there's a lot of trauma there. It was, a, it was a big... Yeah. yeah. I did call up my rapist and get him to pay for the abortion, um, <laughs> which I thought was pretty bold. I'm sorry, I don't know why I'm laughing. Laugh or cry. <laughs> and they're did, in the same. Did he pay? He did. <laughs> he did pay for it. Um... And oh. I also had the Canberra <clears throat> Rape Crisis Centre pay for it. Mm. And so I put his money towards my knee reconstruction. Okay. Because <laughs> I needed every cent I could yeah. get. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that was number one. I was yeah. 19. Yeah. yeah. And um, at the time I saw it, I was studying science and mm. I saw it as a very clinical decision for me. It was very, well, it, we're six weeks in, it's early days, it's mm-hmm. just a bunch of cells. I'm all good. I'm mm-hmm. just going to... You know, I didn't have a choice in the matter. In, in Like, for me, it was just one choice. There was no way yeah. I was going to birth my rapist's child. Like, that was just not going to happen for me. Yeah. Um, so I just was like, yep, yeah, I'm just dealing with this. I'm all good. Mm. I, saw a, I saw a therapist and I talked to her for an hour or two. And she's like, oh, you've dealt with this really well. I don't think you need any more therapy. Mm-hmm. Little did I know. <laughs> so much required mm-hmm. um but yeah at the time i was quite blasé about it and just like mm. okay that, that's that it's done yeah um yeah um just circling back because yeah. there was a lot There's of a information lot. to process in a few minutes yeah. <laughs> um when you went to i guess the sexual health clinic mm. after that was that immediately after or yeah i'm pretty sure i went the next day yeah maybe two days yeah and did you um I guess what was the process there did you say what had happened to you or were you just yeah I gotta think back then Mm. I'm pretty sure I did I did put in a police report as well yeah um at the time and they collected what they call products of conception which Mm. is the Mm -hmm. abortion they Mm -hmm. collected that for evidence they hold it for two years in case you decide to press charges because it's DNA evidence. Um, but what it came down to for me was I didn't want to have this motorcycle club after me. They knew where I lived. Yeah. I didn't want my house firebombed or anything else that could have happened. Mm-hmm. And in the end, if it went to court, I would have had legal aid. He would have had the best lawyer money could buy and it would have been my word against his. Mm. And it would have been, yes, it definitely happened, but the issue of consent would have been up to me to prove, mm. which is a huge flaw in the justice system. Mm-hmm. But that's where we're still at in our society. Yeah. So I ended up laying it to rest. But it did yeah. go against his name and they said, we, we're aware of this individual mm. here at the police. Mm. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. But he now runs a very successful business in Canberra. So. Right. Yeah. Well, I hope that business tanks. No. She was like, <laughs> oh, look, I think karma comes around for everyone and, mm. you know, it is what it is. Aww. I wouldn't be here today if it hadn't happened. Mm. So. It's, uh, 
Mm. Hell of a story. I'm really sorry that happened to you. Mm. Me too. Yeah. I'm also... um, We're on our own journey, aren't we? Yes. And I wouldn't be on the journey I'm on now if I hadn't got here through my winding, weaving story. Mm. Yeah. And Mm. I'm happy to be where I am now. Yeah. Mm. So... That's part one. Part one (laughs) instalment. Yeah. Sorry, I think I just need a minute. (laughs) Yeah. Take a breath. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. It Mm. gets better. That's that's the hardest bit of my story. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. I'm just thinking in my head that, yeah, I don't think I've ever heard, I'm not sure if I've ever heard you say that before, mm-hmm. but I've known you to talk about, you know, you've been through some hard things and some trauma. Yeah. And yeah. I think one of the things I admire most about you is that you have this really, I'm not going to say like always positive, like <laughs> persona, but you have a really like grounded way about you mm-hmm. of, having dealt with some really heavy stuff and still having a positive outlook on life from what I can see. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Kelsey. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, yeah. I think you have the ability to choose how you show up each day Hmm. in life. And If you don't bring your best self to each day, what's the point? Mm. And I think what Mother Earth needs the most right now is for humans to remember our role Mm. as custodians for her, as carers for each other, for other species and for Mother Earth. And that's our work, all of us. You know, we think, oh, what's the point of life? What's the purpose? What am I here for? What are, what what can I do, little me? Mm. We can show up mm. for each other mm-hmm. and give each other love and <laughs> in beautifully consensual ways. Consensual <laughs> ways. <laughs> but, you know, we, we're here to share mm. and to give to each other and to ourselves mm. and to bring our light mm. and our gifts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yes. And it does take work. <laughs> it does. That's okay. I guess But what... I think one of my gifts is is positivity. Is, mm. is I see, I always, I never see the glass half full. I see it overflowing. I just mm. think there's always, you know, there's always mm. that energy is there. You just mm. need to harness it and reflect it overflowing with something that you want to drink yeah not a subpar drink that no nah nah you know it's like chocolate milk or something delicious yeah if you like chocolate milk yeah my son would say it's nano breast milk yeah (laughs) (laughs) nice (laughs) nectar of the gods and the goddess yeah (laughs) so i think what i'm thinking about now is that's the first instalment of part of your story and yeah. your life story. Yeah. And I guess what you were saying is that at the time you really viewed it as a very clinical mm. choice mm-hmm. and yeah. there was no entertaining of any possibility of having that child yeah. conceived in that way. Yeah. Um, 
I'm interested to know before we reach that that second story mm. because it's all interwoven yeah is how was that processing journey for you in the years afterwards yeah yeah so that's probably the next major component of my story mm. um I stopped drinking the day after it happened because mm. I didn't want to be put in that situation again um and my I also started scuba diving that year which was a wonderful thing mm-hmm. for me um and then the year after I traveled solo around Australia for a year which mm-hmm. was fantastic mm-hmm. um and got up to all sorts of fun adventures and then I so and because my my honours was delayed by a year for the funding. I was, I was doing honours in marine ecology. And um, so I did my honours year. And because I was such a perfectionist to mm. a fault, mm-hmm. um, I got uh, 3% points short of first class for my honours. Mm. Um, my supervisor was a narcissist. He has finally been fired um for almost Mm -hmm. killing one of his students last year right yeah um got taken to court for that and finally lost his position Mm -hmm. but um he sabotaged my work for because i confronted him about his absences through the year and and so there was a lot of issues going on there like it was quite complex Mm. um and i confronted him about why he was doing a cheese tour in france the week my thesis was due and couldn't assist me in the final couple of weeks Mm. (laughs) and he said to my colleague who was doing her phd um rosie's not going to get first class honors i'm going to make sure of it and he did uh, yeah, no, there wasn't a lot of sanity there. Anyway, I got my 77% and I remember just melting oh. and crying mm. and just being totally heartbroken and suddenly realising, thinking, not realising, thinking mm. that I wasn't intelligent and that was mm. the last thing I had left at that point because mm. I'd already lost my sense of dignity, self-respect, Mm. a lot of that there was a lot of undealt with shame around the rape and Mm. the abortion and everything and so the last that last piece of the puzzle for me I always saw myself as incredibly intelligent and being able to do anything I put my mind to Mm. that piece of the puzzle got ripped out Mm. and I went okay fuck you world I'm just gonna do whatever I want Mm -hmm. and so I fell into a place in a time of incredibly risky wild behavior mm. um i did a lot of traveling and like hitchhiking and sleeping on the beaches and you know quite fun things <laughs> um started self-medicating with substances and just mm. going on a very wild journey mm-hmm. um and yeah that took me yeah, right around the world doing some wild things. And then I thought, oh, maybe I'll get myself back on track. And I signed up for a conservation expedition. Mm. And I did that over in Mexico and mm. then started um, – I found some LSD, got into that a little bit. In Mexico. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that landed me – I started having, like, really wild 
trips where I was having these recurring things coming up Mm. and I ended up landing back in Perth where I'd been living periodically um ended up at a festival and had a really intense drug psychosis Mm. um, that landed me in hospital Mm. and it went for eight weeks um Mm. where I was completely out of touch with reality but during that well everyone else's reality Mm-hmm. My reality was still there. It was just different. Mm. <laughs> but during that time, one of the big things that came up was being pregnant. And I was convinced that I was pregnant. Like, mm. so convinced. And I, during hospital, I did a ritual for myself to say goodbye to this being. Mm-hmm. And I realized that it was that same being I had never acknowledged or said goodbye to mm. and it was um yeah in a psychiatric ward in New South Wales that that happened mm-hmm. <laughs> really big <laughs> what a place mm. <laughs> yeah after, after mm. being sectioned mm-hmm. yeah so that drug psychosis was another term for it is a spiritual awakening mm-hmm. or a spiritual emergency spiritual crisis Mm-hmm. Um, had I been supported with that outlook, I think my experience would have been very different. Mm. Um, but coming out of the psychiatric ward, I went into a long process of medicated recovery um, mm. for a year, and then I was in suicidal depression for about six months after that. Mm. And then I slowly started rebuilding my life and saw a therapist and dealt with the rape which is why I can now talk about it without breaking out in tears Mm. (laughs) and feeling a lot of shame and blame and fear and all that Mm. sort of stuff yeah um but yeah it was a long process of healing and recovery and 10 years later I'm still seeing my therapist Mm. (laughs) long term now we're unpacking my childhood (laughs) (laughs) that's fun Mm-hmm. Yeah. So look, I, I didn't deal with it at the time, but I tell you what, it's going to come up. The yep. sooner you deal with it, the better, I think. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, if you're able. Yeah. It's so interesting that that came up for you in your, do you refer to it as a psychosis? Depends or, on who I'm talking to. Yeah. In that period of your life, though, it's so yeah. interesting that... I usually call it a quarter-life crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Which it was. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. I was 24 and, mm. um, and 25 while it was happening. Mm. And, yeah, it was... Um, I'm so glad that happened. Mm. It was the most resilience-building... Um, huge momentous experience in my whole life Mm. and on a day-to-day basis I still think about it because it's with you forever Mm. Um, it was also the most wonderful experience in my whole life parts Mm. of it Um, just feeling I don't know there was so much Mm -hmm. (laughs) one one of the big things apart from the the pregnancy and, and cleansing that side of things was I thought I was turning into a mermaid Mm-hmm. And funnily enough, I actually ended up working as a mermaid <laughs> on the Gold Coast at SeaWorld yep. <laughs> years later and became a freediving instructor where I'm literally teaching people how to be a mermaid. So interestingly, some things came out of it mm. that, that came to fruition in one way or another. It all works out. Um, it does. <laughs> it does. And I'm finding freediving was a huge um, 
a, a huge thing for me to come back to life and enjoying mm. life again after being uh, because I had a fear of being able to enjoy myself mm-hmm. because I was in mania for eight weeks mm. um, so after that yeah I was medicated so I couldn't feel highs or lows and mm. that was really challenging and so then feeling good again felt scary for a while mm. so Anyway, we're kind of yeah. getting off topic here. But. No, but yeah, no, it's, yeah. um, I mean, off topic, but the, the, like, the psychedelic breaks or, you know, people talk about bad trips, obviously that was, like, a very extreme mm. case for you. Mm. But, yeah, you talk about that integration of, of a bad trip. It Like, yeah, working with somebody or unpacking it yeah. can reveal so much gold. Yeah. Because well, it kicked off it my comes therapy from your journey. psyche. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It kicked off my whole journey of spiritual mm. recovery. Mm. And I, I have no idea if I would have survived if I didn't go through that. Mm. Because I was on such a wild journey. Mm. And I just had no reason for living anymore. Mm. I was just, yeah, not myself at all. Mm. And, yeah, that that experience brought me back to who I was. Like I I remember going back to the place I was living in and throwing out all my high-heeled shoes and dance outfits and anything that wasn't green or blue or white and just <laughs> buying some leather sandals and a flowing skirt and just... Mermaid. Like, yeah, just <laughs> letting go of the nightlife I'd been working nights mm-hmm. and, you know, been living the party life. Um, mm. just letting go of it all and getting back to mm. Mother Earth and the ocean, which is where I belong. Mm-hmm. My ocean spirit. Mm. <laughs> you definitely are. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's my happy place. <laughs> so did you, and after that, with having done that ritual in the hospital, mm. obviously you'd started to see a therapist. Did you unpack that a bit more or did you kind of feel like that was complete? Which I, I guess like your abortion experience the first time. Um, the abortion experience itself, I don't think we ever unpacked. Mm. I unpacked the rape and mm. the result and so on. Mm. But no, I've never fully unpacked. Mm. I it, when I look back, the abortion experience itself felt very good. Mm. It felt like a very um, I felt cared for. Mm. The staff were amazing. Yeah. Um, my mum came and looked after me and gave me hot water bottles and so on. Cared for me. Um, I do remember this one point, and of course, I had like the evangelicals out the front handing me flyers and things like that. Fun. No, thank you. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> yes, continue. But did you want me to tell that bit of the story? Differently? You can if you want to. I was just wondering if it was a surgical it was. procedure. Yeah, 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 yeah. surgical. Um, back then, the medical wasn't available yet. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's only relatively recently. Yeah, the R, yeah. was it R48? I think it was at the time. With yeah, R, R45 or something. Yeah. The pill was, it was, they were just starting to talk about that as a possibility. Yeah. But yeah, medical abortions weren't mm. around yet. Is mm. 2007 so mm. makes me feel old <laughs> <laughs> I'm not yet but yeah. um, it's happening but yeah I know I know it is um, but yeah I just remember this one moment from it all I had a, just such a great team they were they were so lovely and I remember the anaesthetist saying you know like 
what's your tolerance to alcohol because that's kind of how they gauge how much anesthetic to give you if right. you have a low tolerance yeah. and they bamp it back a bit because I did it under a conscious sedative so yeah. you're meant to be awake but mm. don't feel anything mm-hmm. and I said well I'm a lightweight and he gave me the anesthetic and I was out cold <laughs> for two hours they actually had trouble waking me up <laughs> but oh. just before he did the anesthetic I remember just laying there on the table and with my legs in the stirrups Mm. and looking up at my massive cast on my leg from my knee operation Mm. well that was about to have my knee operation it was in brace I Mm -hmm. just looked at it and I looked up and I'm just like looking at the doctor and my knee in a brace and I just looked up and I said to whatever's above and I just said what else do you want from me like fucking bring it on come on what is this like it was just this moment of clarity of speaking to something higher going what am i what am i meant to be learning right Mm. now because you are throwing some shit at me Mm. like what did i do to get this Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) but i also knew in that moment that if i wasn't strong enough for it i wouldn't have been given it Mm. I wouldn't have been dealt it. And I knew that I could get through it, whatever mm. it was. And I have. And here you are. Here I am. Telling your story. <laughs> Telling my story. <laughs> yes. So hopefully it may help others yeah. their journeys. Yeah. Because we didn't have podcasts back then either. <laughs> no. not even a thing. No, it was radio shows, which are <laughs> a bit more yeah. curated. Very curated. And in those days there was very little talk of mm. even saying the word period. Mm. or menstruating would not have got on the radio Mm. that's only not even 20 years ago so recent yeah 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 big it's crazy yeah um so (laughs) now i'm thinking about your husband or your partner yeah (laughs) and i'm wondering yeah just um hop skip and a jump yeah. to to where your next story began and yeah. I know that we talked about maybe touching upon your journey into motherhood yeah so we can start there if you want yeah absolutely yeah. no that'd be beautiful so um after after my first abortion I went back on the pill and was mm-hmm. on that until my psychosis. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of gone into a different area now, but it's all tied in. Yeah. Um, but I actually am quite convinced that taking the pill was something that contributed to my psychosis mm. because the pill did not sit well with me emotionally. Mm. Um, I had a lot of major mood swings on it. Mm. And... It's also something that is starting to come to light, that it's not good for a lot of people's mental health, but Mm. isn't something that's been talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, So after my psychosis, I came off the pill as well because Mm. I didn't want... I just wanted to be me without chemical additions. Mm. I just wanted to... And when I came off my medications, I just threw everything out the window and thought, right, it's time to just be me. Yeah. (laughs) So I started using condoms after that. Um, as my primary method of contraception. And around the same time, when I was 25, 26, Mm. 2014, however old I was then, Mm. um, 
I started, yeah, I started my business, Sustainable Menstruation mm. Australia, and got quite deep into fertility tracking and learning about that as well. So mm-hmm. I started using that as part of my contraceptive journey as well. Mm. And so I used the Symptothermal method for nine years mm-hmm. successfully. Um, and then when I met my current partner, mm. father of my children, beautiful man, mm-hmm. um, we were together for not terribly long and we talked about children and and talked about all sorts of things and something I had always wanted from as long as I can remember since I was a wee thing Mm. is that I knew that I wanted to be a mother it Mm. was just such a big calling for me and a really strong pull Mm. um yeah and then we had sex on a maybe day mm-hmm. and I said to him it was a maybe day and he was okay with that and mm-hmm. I was okay with that. It was a yes day. Yeah. <laughs> Shortly after, mm-hmm. um, on our first morning in Bali, um, I took a positive pre- pregnancy test. Mm-hmm. And I, we, we'd both gone on that trip thinking, well, it'll be a good decider as to whether we're meant to be together or not because if you travel well with someone it's a good sign that yeah you're going to get along with them <laughs> yeah and we did that on the first day I'm like okay I guess this is it <laughs> we're doing it and he honestly he just rose to the challenge so beautifully mm. and he's an incredibly grounding presence for me mm. um my pregnancy with my son was beautiful it mm. was amazing it was incredibly healing mm. um and I had a really healing birth as well. I felt mm. incredibly empowered. And I, yeah, I, I had one of those unicorn births in the public system that went really well. <laughs> it was nice. entirely <laughs> physiological, which is very rare. Mm. Um, yeah, I was just in the mainstream public system. And yeah, I had a beautiful, completely natural birth with it natural third stage and everything which mm. is almost unheard of mm. but it was beautiful um amazing experience was it um was it a long journey like what was the actual uh, birth like no if not really to... it was like 12 hours mm. um of active labor mm. but I mean, it was really probably 20 hours of actual labor yeah um but yeah my my son's birth was yeah, it was amazing. It was very primal. I mm. was, I think they heard me on the other side of Adelaide. I was very loud. <laughs> um, I really desperately wanted to get in the bath, uh, but I'd had a bit of bleeding. So they mm. suggested I don't. Um, in hindsight, I would have just got in knowing mm. what I know now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you're time, a mermaid. Yeah, yeah. that's where I needed to be. Um, but I had him in the shower and, and that was beautiful. Mm. Uh, it was really good. And... Yeah, I had the support of a really incredible student midwife who was so supportive and wonderful Mm. and helped me make the decisions I needed to make Mm. and stay in my power. She was great. Um, Let me know that it was okay to take off the ECG and I didn't have to have that if I didn't want it because it wasn't working anyway because they don't. (laughs) I was never going to have one and then they bribed me into having one Mm. this cranky midwife at admissions Mm. um but I took that off and that was the best decision I made Mm. (laughs) it's such a pain I see women like just getting so annoyed and irritated that yeah well they don't work they're in the way and yeah they don't work um and there's actually zero evidence for them 
Mm. There's no better outcomes when you use them mm. as to when you don't. So really they're a stupid invention. <laughs> they're the kind of the best we have if you need to monitor the baby, mm. but they're terrible. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you need to get off. Yeah, I took it off and that was great. Um, but, yeah, my son was born and I became a mother and it was just the most beautiful transition. It was amazing. Mm. It was really, really wonderful. Mm. Um, yeah, and I it, like, healed a lot for me. Mm. Um, I actually saw a vision of my son before I had him, several years before. Mm. I was daydreaming and I closed my eyes and I just saw this little boy with blonde curly hair smiling at me mm-hmm. and I was like blonde <laughs> how's that gonna happen like, I'm brunette I'm never gonna have a blonde kid well I have a blonde kid <laughs> you <Totally>. do <laughs> very blonde very very blonde <laughs> very curly hair yeah so it's just funny how that happens mm. but yeah it was it was great yeah mm. nice it's so nice to hear yeah. you talk about yeah such a positive experience that you yeah. had yeah yeah sounds yeah from just the brief, you know, it sounds very gentle. It was, yeah, yeah. it was beautiful. And we had a, a really amazing golden three or four hours after mm. birth mm. Um, where they just left us be. They didn't try and, you know, do anything. Mm-hmm. They didn't cut the umbilical cord because I said, no, I'm not going to let you cut it. Like, mm-hmm. this is, we'll do it when we're ready. And mm-hmm. I think it was in, intact for quite a while. Um but, yeah, we just fed and I just soaked him up and it was beautiful. Mm. And they, they just did their paperwork. They were so gentle. And the midwife I got happened to be ex-MGP and she was fantastic. Mm. I just I got lucky. That's what you want. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Um, it was the first physiological birth my student midwife had seen and it was her last follow-through. So it was her 20th birth. Yeah. It was the first physiological birth she'd seen goes to show the stats mm. oh yep mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but yeah anyway so jump forward nine months mm. and I got pregnant mm. again mm-hmm. and I freaked out because mm. I I made the mistake uh, we used condoms initially and then I made the mistake of returning to symptothermal tracking before my cycles had fully regulated. Mm. So just a word of warning for those out there. Give yourself plenty <laughs> of time before yeah. you go back to doing that. Mm. When did um, your cycle return? How many months? Well, I, he was only four months old when my cycle came back. Yeah. Um, mm. And, yeah, so by, by nine months I'd had like four or five cycles and I was mm. like, ah, you know, I think we're good now. Mm-hmm. Um, no, we weren't good. <laughs> yeah, so I took the test and it was just when I, I remember looking at the test with my son, just looking at it with this huge smile and like disbelief because mm. I couldn't quite believe we were pregnant so early in our relationship, but just mm. happiness and excitement and joy and mm. just like so excited. Whereas when I looked at this one, my heart just sank and mm. I was just like, oh, fuck. Like, mm. And my iron levels were still low. They hadn't recovered yet. Mm. And I was still getting my head around the whole parenting gig. And we didn't have any family support. We don't have any where mm. we live. So my mum's interstate and my partner's parents are three hours drive. Mm. And just not having support, I just looked around and I looked at my son. And for me, um, 
still having not let go of my perfectionism, mm. I wanted to raise my son perfectly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How's that going? So I thought, well, I can't <laughs> possibly do that if I have a second one so soon. I can't give him as much as I want to give him and I can't give him the best start. Mm. My therapist at the time said, you'll have enough love for as many children as you want. And I was like, How, how's that possible? I didn't mm. fully, hadn't fully understood unconditional love at the time. But I just knew that I didn't have the resources mentally, physically, emotionally to mm. give birth again so soon after mm. my first. And some people do, and I'm my hat is off. <laughs> wow. Off. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. So it was a really challenging decision the mm. second time around. It was so hard because mm-hmm. I always thought I would never have a termination or an abortion with someone who I loved in a financial situation where we could afford a child. Mm. You know, I just wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. And then it came up and I was like, ah, oh, I can't birth someone yet. I'm not ready. Mm. And it took me two weeks to reach the decision. I, I did the test. I've always known really early when I'm pregnant, mm. really early. So I had time to think about it, which yeah. in some ways was hard, but also good because I reached a, a space of clarity around mm. it all. And, yeah, I reached the decision that it just wasn't the right time for us. Mm. It just wasn't. And I felt like I had to justify the decision, which is wrong, I think. Mm. It's, it's a woman's decision. Mm. It's her body. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah I thought a lot on it and I, I talked to my partner and he was just so beautifully supportive he said it's whatever you want to do I'll fully support it mm. he was amazing yeah. um, he's amazing <laughs> and yeah so I elected to have another surgical mm. um, there was the choice at that point but because I was breastfeeding I thought it would be better mm. to go the surgical route just because it yep. wouldn't be in my system and I wouldn't be dealing with it at home mm. and so on mm-hmm. um yeah and so I did mm. round two mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. I, I had the you know they do the screening process to make sure you're really certain and all mm-hmm. of that we did all that and went to the hospital to have it done and weirdly it was a really healing experience Mm. which I did not expect Um, Mm. but it was really healing and it healed a lot from the first experience because this time I was in a loving supportive relationship yeah and I had a beautiful partner to support me through it Mm. um, to hold my hand and look after me and get me heat Mm. packs and I remember nursing my son on the couch a few hours after I got home Mm. and it was I just felt so healed mm. Mm. so loved yeah and I knew I'd made the right decision and I remember at the time saying to the little being in me saying I love you and I want you but I'm not ready mm. please come back mm. when I'm ready mm. and I thought deeply on it because I thought well, what if I can't get pregnant again you know what if this is it mm. I still made that decision. I thought, well, if it comes to it, I'll adopt. I'll find a way of Mm. having another child because I knew I wanted another child. Mm. But at the time, I just wasn't ready. Mm. So I made that decision. And I'm so glad I did. Mm. I'm so glad. Mm. (laughs) And then she came back. Then she came back. Yeah. Now she's really cute. Super cute. (laughs) (laughs) Climbing. 
Yeah. 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 Wow. Oh, it's, yeah, it's uh, interesting to hear how second experiences can be so different and, yeah, like for all different reasons. Sometimes they can be worse, sometimes they can be better, but it's really nice to hear that you felt like it was a healing experience with a partner yeah. that loved you, yeah. that you loved and you were really held and supported in that. Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. And you had your little nine-month-old baby to yeah. take care of. Yeah. <laughs> it was 10 by the time I had it. But yeah, mm. 10 months. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how old my daughter is today. 10 months. Really? <laughs> very full circle. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I didn't realise until I was a mother, like, how children that are under a year or even, like, 12, 13, they're still a baby. Mm. Oh, yeah. So much. They're, they're still babies. Yeah. Yeah. So little. And so now mm-hmm. I think I have a lot more compassion for, yeah, women who, who have children really close together or women mm. who have abortions because mm. they don't want that. And mm. Yeah, just so much love for women either way. Like, mm. either way, it's hard. Mm. <laughs> Parenting is hard. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Having a womb in our culture is hard. It's hard. Whatever you do with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's also magical. It is. Magical portal. Absolutely. Fun. And Incredible. Laughter. <laughs> I was thinking about <laughs> Screaming. <that. laughs> yeah. I was thinking about that on the way here yeah. and just thinking about how in our culture we talk about how women have the ability to give life. Mm. Um, but traditionally well ancestrally our role was also to take it away Mm. and there's a lot of taboo around that because we live in a culture that fears death Mm. so much we've lost our ritual around death we've lost our respect of death we've lost our our connection with it Mm. and I think a lot of the gravity of it has been taken away and Mm. the ability to have ritual and connection and understanding of it Mm isn't yeah. there yep. yeah it and is. to hold a womb to have a womb means you have both mm. you have the ability to give and to take mm-hmm. yeah and that's huge mm. yeah I feel that it's really big yeah I feel for me like when I had my abortion at that time I'd had like a couple of great grandparents die but mm. I mean I was very upset but also like having an abortion you give birth to death Hmm. and just like it initiated me into thinking about death and and that whole side of reality and just unpacking so much so much there Mm. because of my ability to conceive life and to say no to that life as well so yeah yeah, it's an interesting journey Mm. yeah it is yeah and so how did you go with processing that one how did that integrate into your life and yeah um yeah I, I talked through it with my therapist and with my partner um there was a little bit of shame around it mm. just in that I felt a bit embarrassed talking about some of about it with some of my close friends because they'd had trouble conceiving and I felt almost mm. guilty for my ability to conceive easily, mm. too easily, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which was weird, but part of it. 
Yeah. Mm. Um, and I think that's a normal feeling that can come up. I was also the first one in my mum's group to get pregnant for the second time. Mm. And then shortly after, another one got pregnant and she chose to keep that child. And so there was guilt that came up there of, oh, maybe I should have kept mine too. And, like, mm. there was weird feelings around that too. Mm. Um, but it's all normal. It's all part of processing. Um mm. But mostly for me, it was, I was very confident in my decision because I'd reached it over some time and really yeah. knew that it was the right choice. I knew instantly when I saw the mm. test that it wasn't right. I was like, oh, mm. not ready, not ready, not ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> please wait, please come back. Mm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when she did come back, when I got mm. pregnant again, mm-hmm. I'd always said I wanted a three to four year gap between my kids, ideally. Mm-hmm. And we'd sort of started not quite trying, but sort of. And again, we had sex on a maybe day, mm-hmm. um, knowingly and willingly. Mm-hmm. And we conceived. <laughs> like, okay, these maybe days. Like, these maybe babies. Yeah. So <laughs> she was like day eight in my cycle super early yeah and my son was day 18 so yeah the other end yeah yeah um but as soon as I conceived her I knew I just Mm. knew straight away Mm -hmm. and I had these really early signs I took a test when my my period was like due that day or one day late Mm -hmm. same with my son Mm -hmm. I just knew and I wrapped the test up I gift wrapped it my mm. partner and mm-hmm. made him fancy dinner and had it next to his plate and he wouldn't open it for ages and I'm like you can't open your present like come on <laughs> I'm eating my steak <laughs> but just from the very beginning I just I felt like she'd come back mm. and it was she I was ready that time yeah I was so ready and I had such a beautiful pregnancy and birth with her Mm. like I thought my birth with my son was amazing Mm -hmm. and then I had her and I was like holy shit like (laughs) it can be that good this is what birth can be Mm. I I had her in the in the birth pool at home with my daughter before the midwife arrived we Mm. we didn't even bother calling her she was I was an hour and a half active Mm -hmm. labor wow yeah, she was pretty quick. Wow. <laughs> but it was just the most amazing, majestic, beautiful experience. And I just mm. felt so in control and so empowered and just ready. Mm. And she just came roaring out. Like, she was like, here I am. <laughs> I waited so long for this. <laughs> I'm here. She was so excited to come Aww. out. And it was just magic. Like, I, I didn't tear and I mm. had a very light graze. Um birth to placenta within sort of 20 minutes in the bath, hopped mm. out, got on the bed, and then the midwife came in. Hello. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we're all done. We don't need you. You can do your paperwork. <laughs> but beautifully, the midwife I had was actually my student midwife from my first birth because she oh, was then working in MGP and oh, got me in, beautiful. which was amazing. So that was very full circle. Mm. Um, but it was just it just felt like the most beautiful, sacred blessing experience to Mm. have her in my sacred space at home in the pool and it wasn't painful it was intense Mm. like the most intense sensation you could imagine Mm -hmm. but it didn't yeah there wasn't really pain as such it was yeah Mm. just majestic Mm. phenomenally amazing 
Mm. And I just felt so grateful that I'd waited. And I found the transition to two Mm. so intense. Mm -hmm. I did not expect it to be this challenging. Mm. The past year has been incredibly challenging mentally, emotionally, physically, just not having the support that Mm. I need to raise two kids and look after them in the way that I want to. Mm. Um, And so I'm so glad I waited. Mm. I really am. Like having the three-year gap was still intense. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine how it would have been with an 18-month gap. Mm. hats off (laughs) I know know. like if you Mm. have a village it would be so doable Mm. but unfortunately we don't Mm. in our culture some people do some people have extended family and so on but yeah yeah Mm. it's a lot it is a lot (laughs) so many needs (laughs) Um, I think one thing I want to ask you which is like it's on topic but also not quite Mm. But I think Ask it would be, be helpful for people <laughs> listening to this is you, you said that you've obviously struggled this year, but you also have, from what I see of you and admire about you and has inspired me to take action on things in my own life is that it looks like you have really good coping mechanisms yeah. or like flags for when you know you're not feeling good and you go, right, I need to call in my supports. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I guess my question is, what are those supports for you Mm. or how do you recognize when you're getting to that place Mm -hmm. and yeah, what have you put in place? Yeah. It's a great question. Mm. Um, I would say my partner is an early indicator for me. Mm. He's great at knowing when I need support. Mm -hmm. Um, or when I'm about to explode. It's like, is your period due next week? Like, <laughs> he just knows <laughs> in a nice way, not in a like, you being pms Yeah. No, it's, it's in a like, are you okay? <laughs> mm. um, but I also know in myself now um, when I'm not coping well. Mm. Um, I think something that my therapy over the past 10 years has really worked on is my self-awareness. Mm. And I can see now when things I can't always control what comes out of my mouth, but I know shit's going to come. So. Mm. <laughs> so I try to put things in place so that it comes in a way that's okay. <laughs> buffer. <laughs> yeah, I buffer it. Um, my, my primary supports are just reaching out to some beautiful good friends I have. Mm. You're becoming one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, girlfriend. Um, yeah, my... I have a... Yeah, a lot of phone conversations and so on. Um, mm. My therapist, I book in and see her when mm. things are necessary, needing. Mm. Um, I I called a few helplines this year as well. I had some days that were really tough. Mm. So I just thought, I need to call someone because I'm not feeling good. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been a big thing for me as well is learning that there's no shame in calling a helpline that they're actually there for a reason mm. and that just because other people may have it worse or may have a more challenging situation doesn't mean you can't call for help too mm. like that's been big for me like mm. oh someone else will have it worse out there i shouldn't call mm. or you'll be on hold and you're like oh just hang up like i don't really need it mm-hmm. mm, if you're calling you need it like just do it mm. <laughs> yeah um if you think that you might need to call a helpline, you probably do. 
Mm. And that's what they're there for. <laughs> they have professionals who are great. Yeah. They want to listen to yeah. you. Yeah. yeah, and your problems aren't too big for them. It's what they're trained for. Mm. Or too small for them either. Like, mm. they're great. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I've also discovered that it's about finding what makes me tick and doing that. And mm. for me, a big part of that, like, I'm an outdoor person. Mm-hmm. I'm an adventurer. I have to be doing that mm. to feel good. Mm-hmm. So um, in incorporating that in with children has been mm. a challenge, but we're doing it. <laughs> um, and, it's yeah, it's just a process, little by little, mm. finding ways to just do whatever it is that fills your cup, even if you need to include them and modify or whatever. Mm-hmm. But remembering that you matter mm. and if your cup is full, then you have more to give to others mm. and you can't drink from an empty cup. You just can't. You can suck, but there's nothing coming out. There's yeah. nothing there. <laughs> Sip in the void, mate. And then you just suck, don't you? <laughs> but yeah, like if there's nothing mm. to give, there's nothing to give. Yeah. And the yeah. more you take from an empty, then mm-hmm. the more you're digging into China. Yeah. <laughs> Poor someone. Don't want to get there. Nah. No, no, no. No, we're not going to start chipping away. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So it's just fine, recognizing mm. self awareness. Mm. Yeah. Is there anything, I'm feeling like that's a good place to wrap up, but is there anything else that you would like to add that you feel like is an important thing that you'd like to say? Um, Yeah, I think what we talked about before we started of, I think this is so important to get these stories out for those who Mm. are questioning, doubting, feeling into Mm. that every journey is different Mm. and there's no right way to do life just have to do it your way mm-hmm. and work out what that is as you go and that reducing taboo and shame and stigma around reproductive choice is really important mm. because at the end of the day for me my body is mine it's not anyone else's mm-hmm. even when I'm carrying another being my life is still mine mm. and I have sovereignty over that nobody else does And I feel so grateful that I live in a time where that's possible. Mm. And yes, there's still a question and doubt around that for a lot of people around the world. Mm. Um, That was something that really came up with my second experience was I just felt so grateful Mm. to be able to access safe, affordable reproductive care. Mm. I was so grateful for that because mm. I know so many who cannot access that. Mm. Yeah. And unfortunately, America's gone backwards with that. But yes. it's um, so important. Mm. And anyone who thinks that an unborn being has more right to life than the mother carrying it, mm. you got some work to do. <laughs> Big work. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not wearing, using microphones. Yeah. Oh, right. yes. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful Thank words. You. Thank you, Rosie. Thank you, Kelsey. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to Rosie's story. If you got to this point, um, then yeah, thank you for listening to the whole story and episode. And thanks, Rosie, again so much for sharing. Um, so courageously and beautifully about 
um, yeah, what can, what was a really hard story to share. So, um, again, if this episode has brought up anything for you, please go and speak to a trusted loved one or a trusted health professional, do some journaling, do whatever you need to do to, um, decompress and integrate, um, the listening of this story. Maybe that's watching your favorite Netflix show or walking your dog, um, and I've also provided some links in the show notes to the um, yeah, National Domestic Abuse, um, Sexual Abuse Hotline and Services. So um, 1-800-RESPECT is the hotline number. So 1-800-737-732. And if you also click on that website in the show notes, then it can give you state-by-state resources as well. And also Lifeline is available as well Um with the number of 13 11 14 for their 24 7 crisis hotline and just like rosie said again please if you're thinking about um calling one of these hotlines you probably need it so please do give them a call and they're all beautiful people and they just want to listen to you um and help you through and support yourself so um that's about it for today we'll be with you next week or in a fortnight's time with another story Um, So until then, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And yeah, thank you to Rosie for sharing your story because it's a really important, important one. Thank you.